0: I want to begin by expressing what is probably not quite a fair criticism, that it is not obvious where to find Protestant commentary on creation care or environmental policy that does not fall into a trap of letting secular thinkers set the tone, language, and ends, whether that be a left, liberal's evangelical, and a left liberal evangelical's concern with Greta-style climate change or a right liberal's worry about regulation. That likely says more about my reading habits than about my fellow Protestants, but probably not entirely. It is true that Catholics, in works such as Laudato Si, have ready at hand a set of popular resources when speaking of a theology of creation, of creatureliness, and most famously, of course, of the body. We don't have a pope, though we can learn from him, But in hoping to cleave to Protestant sources for this discussion, I'm glossing the scripture largely in light of C.S. Lewis and Colonial America, so let me be clear, this is an admonition, not theology. Nevertheless, God protect me from heresy and any other untruth. (laughs) I'm aided this morning by Joe Rigney's remarks yesterday. Uh, His excellent presentation should have some of the stakes and concepts I'm speaking to at top of mind, so perhaps with that very strong support, the brevity of this exhortation will bear the weights of its content. The title of my talk is Genesis and American Conservation, but I'm going to begin with a passage out of Daniel, chapter four, the significance of which I hope will become clear by the time I conclude. The prophet says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. Our public reason, as Americans, the glory and honor and splendor of our nation, cannot return unless there is a rewilding of a kind, the conservation of a common sense account of nature as God's creation. Or, as someone might tweet, we all need to touch grass. We find ourselves, as we should expect to do when heading in the right direction, on a narrow road. This is the path to a right relationship with the rest of creation, which is really to a right understanding of ourselves as the final creature of the last day. But two ditches lie on either side of us. On the one hand, we might be tempted to say the left hand, lies a radical flattening of all distinction between the human being and nature such that our self-awareness is seen as an accident, even a kind of cancer, and that our proper relationship to the rest of the Earth can only be found in self-effacement. We are seeing the fruits of this perspective in Europe and on the West Coast as we speak. On the other hand, one coded in common parlance as right-wing or conservative, the Earth is reduced to mere matter at hand, and all of humanity has become not imago Dei, called to be a son of God, but only a potential demiurge. Nature, in this perspective, is only flux and chaos, presenting an illusion of order, however, that modern man, as modern toolmaker, can manipulate for his own ends, ends that grow with the mastery, by some, of new techniques. Humanity, too, then, becomes just more matter for manipulation, as C.S. Lewis observed in The Abolition of Man. Many people have fallen into these ditches, and the regime we live in straddles this road, a foot rooted in both sides, set to prevent our passage. This regime, one oriented to the total rationalization of life through technology, is both giant artificial man and tower reaching to the heavens. So let us go back to the beginning and look at Genesis, in this time chapter 11. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And where are we in America today then? Lost, mostly. American moral order was built on a shared public theology that, as distilled in the Declaration of Independence, affirmed that a creator God made man with a particular nature and natural ends under natural law. The American founding, with its potent mix of classical political philosophy, Protestant political theology, and modern enlightenment theory sought to reconcile nature, or fusis, and convention, or nomos, in public life by making an appeal to a creator and man as a creature. Or we might say, making an appeal to a theologically conventional account of true human nature. Today, with the loss of the familiar account, of that familiar account, of both created nature and of a creator God, we have lost the compelling basis for the common sense account of human nature assumed by the framers of the American system and by Western civilization. We find ourselves in the aftermath, then, of a second babel, tenuously united by a false idea of rationality that itself has been cast down, scattering us and confusing our languages. How did we get here? The natural right theory and natural law public theology of the American colonies was grounded in the moral philosophy and theological training of early America's universities. Recall that they were founded as seminaries. This consensus held through the first half of the 19th century, but with the introduction and triumph of positivism in American life, and I would suggest the related increased industrialization in the highly educated north, a crisis of public theology emerged. The clearest cause and symptom of this crisis was the displacement of the clergy as the public intellectuals of American life. America's clergy displaced themselves, largely, as they submitted their faith to new philosophies of history. The discovery of history consisted in an alleged realization that humanity's freedom is radically limited only by earlier uses of that freedom, and not by nature, or by the whole order of nature and creation. Such a view took hold in the United States not directly through Hegel, but through Auguste Comte and his school of positivism. As John Marini has summarized, Comte quote, insisted that the progress of the mind moves as a kind of ascent through three stages. In the first stage, theological knowledge informed human understanding. In the second stage, theological knowledge was replaced by metaphysical or abstract but destructive knowledge. In the last stage, the highest and final stage of the development of the mind, human knowledge is informed by what Comte called scientific, constructive, or positive philosophy. At the positive stage, the scientific mind is complete and man can rationally order society. If we look back at American history since the Civil War, we see the triumph of a philosophy of history as self-ordering through the rationalizations of technology, especially in the transition from a Christian clergy-led culture to a university-led one. And thus technicians and managers and scientists have become the new priests of our time, As the communist Alexander Kozhev said, it is sufficient to say of man everything that the Christian says of his God in order to move from the absolute, or Christian theology, to Hegel's absolute philosophy, or capital S, science. But in all this, what we have succeeded at is radically dividing ourselves from nature. The religion of humanity, man as self-made in history, largely died in the bloodshed and chaos of the 20th century and is being replaced today with the petty power conflicts of biopolitical identity and a religion of the environment or history without humanity. We live then in a moment of crisis that is also an opportunity, for a sense of nature can perhaps be made compelling again, even as it seems to stand in total question. Genesis tells us that the Lord God put man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord brought the beasts of the field and the birds of the air to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. But in naming the animals, he found his aloneness and his need for Eve. Man, as created creature then, is a gardener and a namer who knows himself in relationship to the rest of creation. Nature then, fusis, is a God-given mirror in which we discover ourselves as imago Dei and join Christ as co-creators. Nature as a shared standard though, requires a shared reason or common apprehension. Such reason must begin with the common sense understanding of the average citizen and cannot be imposed by intellectuals. The natural must become conventional through familiarity. If mere intellectual persuasion were all that was necessary, the classic appeals to the founding by conservative intellectuals, or straightforward preaching from the pulpit concerning God's created order, should have made widespread headway in preserving human nature in an age of technicity. But of course it hasn't. But we are in Babel, and like Nebuchadnezzar, we have forgotten what it means that we are animals created by God. But a gloss on the frontier thesis, the settling of the West helped maintain a classical or Christian common sense understanding of nature and natural limits, alongside the modern optimism of the American project and industrial progress. Today we must rewild somewhat, recognize the futility of the tower that we are trying to build in pursuit of ever more rationalized, an ever more rationalized total regime, and make creation apparent to the common man again. So. Consider how false the greenery of our surroundings in this beautiful resort are. Consider the worship of your heart for God when walking in Yellowstone. Consider the dis-ease resulting from consuming the products of our industrial agriculture and the peace of the pastoralist. Consider, Consider the thrill of the hunt, of the backyard garden, of the child watching an egg hatch. And consider, for a moment, with nuclear reactor towers nestled between mountains on the horizon, an American continent again covered in great herds of millions of bison, thank you.